Can I then invite you to return to Mark chapter 4. We're going to look at the verses uh, 26 to 29, which I'm not going to reread at this moment, but I will refer to them during the sermon. So our text will be found in Mark chapter 4, verses 26 to 29. And the title I'd like to give to the meditation is God is at work. God is at work. As I intimated at the beginning, this is our Harvest Thanksgiving service. And we want to introduce the subject by stating categorically that we are indeed grateful to the Lord our God for the bounty that we enjoy year after year. It is wonderful that we have a harvest. And it is wonderful that we have food. Our supermarkets are filled with food, all different kinds and varieties, not only locally, not only from Scotland itself, but from virtually every nation in the world and every continent. We truly are well provided for. And because we live in a city, we might not think too much about these things. We go to the supermarket and we get our food. But there would be no food in the supermarket unless God provided. Man has to do his work, most certainly. But God alone can provide food. And we are grateful and thankful for that. And as we would remember this harvest Thanksgiving service, we bless God for his faithfulness. And we might be inclined to take these temporal mercies for granted, but that should not be the case. But tonight we want to look at these verses and we want to look really at another harvest. A harvest of souls, a harvest of the seed of the Word of God. And there is a, there is a connection between the parable that's probably well known to all of us in this chapter, the parable of the sower. There is a connection here. Because if you read the parable of the sower, the sower goes out, he sows his seed, he's indiscriminate, he's got handfuls of seeds and he's throwing them out wherever he can. They're landing. But very few of that seed actually bears fruit. We're not going to look into the parable of the sower, but you know it. You know well that very few of that seed actually bears fruit at all. And when you consider that the parable is concerned about the sower who goes out to sow the seed. And the parable refers to a preacher, basically. And he's preaching the word of God. He's throwing the seed of the word of God out to his congregation. And even to his congregation, we cannot sharply divide the figures up, but... What it says in the parable of the sower is 
a quarter of his congregation will only bear fruit. Broadly speaking, that's what it's saying. Only a quarter where the word of God is preached does it bear fruit. If you think, especially in our own day and generation, multitudes, multitudes upon multitudes are not in the house of God. And they're not heeding the word of God. And the seed of the word of God is in some sense having no effect upon them. That could lead you and drive you to the conclusion that not many are going to be saved. If, considering the congregation, if only a quarter of them are going to bear fruit, what about the multitudes who are never in the house of God? The disciples may well, when Jesus explained this parable, the parable of the sower, to them, you can imagine that they might be somewhat crestfallen and somewhat despairing and despondent. The Christian gospel is life-changing, as you know. But the Christian gospel is not everyone's cup of tea. It does not flatter the natural man. And therefore, these persons were to go forth and to preach this gospel. And if when they preached it faithfully and sowed the word of God, they were not likely to see much success and fruit, they may well be somewhat despondent. Well, I put it to you, friends, in the light of that, that these verses that we're going to concentrate on tonight is an encouragement to the people of God. It is an encouragement to gospel preachers. It's an encouragement to parents, to Sabbath school teachers, because there will be a harvest. There will be a harvest of souls. And we have to play our part in it. And this is what I want to look at with you tonight. I have four brief headings that I wish to highlight from these four verses. And we look to the Lord to help us as we look at this parable together. Also in my introduction, I want to undergird it with this statement from the Confession. In the Westminster Confession of Faith, we have chapter 5, which deals with providence. And in section 3 of chapter 5 of the Westminster Confession, it says, quote, God in his ordinary providence maketh use of means, yet is free to work without, above, and against them at his pleasure. God in his ordinary providence maketh use of means, yet is free to work without, above, and against them at his pleasure. God tells us what we are to do. And that's to be normative. But God is not bound in any way whatsoever. He does as he pleases. And as we would look at this parable, I would like that statement to undergird what I'm about to say. First of all then, 
What have we got here? Well, we've got, there must be a sore. There must be a sore. What do we find in verse 26? And he said, so the kingdom of God is as if a man should cast seed into the ground. This is surely a reference to the parable of the sower. The sower goes out, he sows the seed. And what Christ is saying here, there must be a sower. Ordinarily, there will be no harvest whatsoever unless the word of God is sown. And this is something that the professing Christian church, the broad Christian church, really needs to take on board. Because we live in a day and a time when preaching is despised. The pulpit is cast aside and all other things are taken over. Not, of course, in our own congregation, but we must never despise preaching. It is by the foolishness of preaching that people are brought into the kingdom. And it is by that same foolishness of preaching that the saints are built up in their most holy faith. That's what God has ordained. And that's what God will honor. It's the preaching of his word. It's Precept by precept, it's line by line. This is the preacher's primary duty. He is to study the word of God and he is to proclaim the word of God. And he's to proclaim it in faith, believing that one day there shall be a harvest. He might never see it. You might never see it. But nevertheless, there must be a sore. Ordinarily, there will never be a harvest unless we're out sowing the word of God. From the pulpit and from every opportunity that we get under God's providence, we are to take it. We are to capitalize upon it. There might come a day in the day that we're living when it will be difficult to do what we do. Well, we'll have to face that difficulty then. But at the moment, we have freedom. We can come to the house of God. We can proclaim the word of God. Yes, we know. That the government, government might have uh, some kind of eye towards fetteriness so that we will not be able to preach the fullness of God's word. What will happen then? Well, we'll worry about it then. But at the moment, the church is to do what the church should do and we should be out sowing the good seed of the gospel. There must be a sower. The word man here, if a man should cast seed, it does not necessarily mean a male individual. Now, I'm not in any sense saying we should have women preachers. That's not what I'm saying. But what it's basically saying is anyone, anyone who has an opportunity to sow the seed should sow the seed. That's the Sabbath school teacher should sow the seed. That's the office bearer should sow the seed. So should a parent sow the seed. If any man should cast seed into the ground. It's not to be confined to the gospel minister in his public role. Yes, there should only be a, a man at the pulpit publicly preaching the word of God, of course. But there will be occasions when there's no preacher around. A parent can speak a word in season. We must not despise these things. We are to grasp these opportunities. If we're ever going to see a harvest, then we must indeed sow.
You'll know this well-known verse from Romans chapter 10. So then faith cometh by hearing. Hearing and hearing by the word of God. We cannot hear enough of the word of God. Hearing. That's what he's talking about earlier on. Does he not speak about hearing? If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. We have to hear. And in order to hear, there must be a sore. And part of the, the sore's responsibility, I do believe, is to prepare the ground. If we go back to nature, before the farmer will sow his seed, he will do some preparation. As best as possible, he will prepare the ground. He will plough it. He will weed it. He will get it in preparation in order that he might be able to go forth and to sow the seed on good ground. And when the sower goes out, the gospel sower, when he goes out with the word of God, he must also, under God, seek to prepare the seed or prepare the soil for the soil to be receptive to that seed. What's he to use? How's he to prepare it? I'm firmly of the opinion, friends, that he's to preach the law of God. The law of God. What does the law of God do? The law of God reveals sin. The law of God cuts the heart. The law of God plows into the heart and exposes the sins of the individual. And very often, I think, one of the faults in the modern uh, Christian evangelistic uh, pattern is that there is too much preaching of the gospel before there is the preaching of the word, the law of God. We'll do without that. There needs to be somewhat preparation. And when the heart is broken, when a sinner's sin has been revealed unto him, it is only then that the gospel is precious to him. It's only then that the Savior is seen in his beauty. So the sore, he must prepare the ground. Obviously we're talking in a spiritual sense and it's not always easy to get the right balance between the law and the gospel. But we were looking some time ago at the, the rich young ruler. Is that not what Jesus did to this very promising young man who came forward with the right question? Is it not clear that Jesus used the law of God to reveal to this man that he was an idolater? There must be, therefore, some preparation before the good seed of the gospel will bear fruit in the hearts and lives of individuals. Secondly, we would notice there is 
a mystery here regarding growth. He goes on, verse 27, And should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should spring and grow up, he knoweth not how. The fact that the sower goes and sleeps and rises night and day, we're not to think in any sense that is a criticism of the sower. He's just doing what he has to do. He's just doing what is normal and natural. He's, he's done his work. He goes to sleep. He rises night and day. And he looks upon the field and he doesn't see any difference. Nothing seems to happen. Nothing seems to change. And then all of a sudden one day he goes up and he sees the green shoots are beginning to come through. But it's an absolute mystery how this happens. And even today, friends, we might say, oh well, this was true in biblical times. The farmer couldn't possibly explain how the seed germinated and how it came to bear fruit. But even today we cannot do it. We don't have the skill. We don't have the knowledge. We don't have the technology. We might know a bit more, but not enough. It is an absolute mystery. We sow seed into the ground. And in the fullness of time. Something glorious and something wonderful happens. It germinates. It comes to life. This is what we're meant to believe and understand concerning the word of God and the preaching of the gospel. And that good seed goes into the heart of a, of a heart that has been prepared. We have to realize that we cannot make it grow. It's impossible. It's an absolute mystery. It's a thing that confounds us. And we cannot explain how it grows. And you know that in your own personal experience. Some of you who have siblings or some of you who, who still have parents around and you've all gone to the house of God at the same time and you've all heard the same sermons You've sat under the same ministry. And what has happened? Your heart has been opened. The word of God has borne fruit in your life. But not in your siblings as yet. It truly is humbling. It's a mystery. Modern man likes to think he knows everything. But this is something that confounds us. And it reminds us again about the sovereignty of God. The farmer, when he goes out, prepares his ground, he sows his seed, he does it by faith. He does believe that he's going to have a harvest. He would never do that. He would never undertake all the work and all the expense and all the toil if he did not expect a harvest. And so it should be for the Christian minister, for the Christian congregation, for the Sabbath school superintendent and teacher, for the office bearers, for parents who seek to bring their children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, they should expect a harvest. And they work accordingly, believing that, mysteriously as it is, it will bear fruit. 
What Jesus said to Nicodemus has relevance to what we're talking about here, about this great mystery. Isn't the new birth a wonderful mystery? Can you explain it? He says to Nicodemus in John chapter 3 verse 8, You must be born again. Nicodemus was confounded. What? Born again? What does that mean? Can I enter into my mother's womb the second time? Jesus says in verse 8, The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Who can talk about the new birth? Who can explain it? When was Paul born again? Do we know? No, we don't. We know his conversion. That happened on the Damascus Road. He had had an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. But was that his new birth? We don't think so. What about Matthew at the receipt of custom? Jesus comes along and says to him, follow me. That wasn't his regeneration we're inclined to believe. That wasn't being called That was him and his conversion. People talk about they know when they were born again. Friends, I don't believe we do know. Or can point at a time, a definite time when the new birth took place. It is mysterious. And so it is. The sowing of the word of God. It's mysterious. Silent. But God is at work. And that's why we come to the house of God. And that's what will fire up the minister. That's what will fire him when he comes to the pulpit. It is that God is at work. Silently. The good seed will bear fruit. Well, if there's a mystery, friends, it's to encourage us to continue. I'm thinking of this verse in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. It would be easy to be despondent. It would be easy to get discouraged. What are we doing? We're presenting an unpopular message. A message that tells people to take up the cross and to follow Jesus. A message that tells them that they must crucify the flesh. A message that goes against flesh and blood. Against human nature. If you, might, if you want to admit it, the whole of human nature is against the message. The world is against it. Our own flesh is against it. And we can easily get despondent. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. The farmer, he sees a, a field. He sees it empty. He sees it ready to be sown. Why does he do it? He does it because he's looking forward to that crop at the harvest time. 
He can see that yield coming. It's not there, but he knows he must sow it, the seed, in order to have a great harvest. Therefore, this is to encourage us. Secondly, or thirdly, we might notice also from this parable that life manifests itself gradually. Surely this is what we're meant to learn here. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. This is ordinarily the way that the crop grows. The seed is sown, nothing seems to happen, then the green shoots, and then it begins to grow, and ultimately there's a crop at the end that will be harvested. And therefore it would remind us that the farmer has to be patient. He sows one day, he doesn't reap the next day. He goes off, he does something else. We might say in modern parlance, he lets nature do its work. We know ultimately it's God who does the work. Whether it be natural produce or whether it be a spiritual harvest, it's God that does it. But he is patient. He may well tend to his crop, he may weed it, he may fertilize it at appropriate times, but he is patient. He lets it grow. And he lets it to come to fruition. Because life manifests manifests itself gradually, normally. This is true for the Christian. This has a bearing and relevance to the Christian. We all, or we should all, want to grow. And we might lament the fact that we're not growing as quickly as we'd like. Well, friends... This is the way it is in spiritual matters. We don't grow suddenly and violently, ordinarily. It is moment by moment, a step by step experience. And that's the way it is for us. And it's good for us to look at our lives and not to get despondent if we're not growing as fast as we should. Or as fast as we think we should. That may be more accurate to say. It has another application. We are inclined to be judgmental when we look at other people's lives. We might look at a a young Christian, someone who's just begun to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. They have things that need to be dealt with in their life. We might look at them and we, we, we might say, well... Their life doesn't really reflect the life of a Christian as far as I can see. Surely there's no grace there whatsoever. They're still doing things. They're still saying things. They're still going places that I wouldn't go to or I wouldn't see. And then we're inclined then to say there's no grace in them. We must be careful. Spiritual life. Physical life also. In the field. It takes time. It manifests itself 
gradually. This is what happened here. And this is what's happening all around. But it also has a wider application. It surely has an application regarding the totality of the kingdom of God. We want to see the kingdom of God grow and expand and flourish, and rightly so. Well, the kingdom of God is growing. It is expanding. It is flourishing. We might not be seeing it as we would like, but that's what happens. It is little by little growing, (coughs) extending, Influencing here, there, and everywhere. This is what we're meant to learn. And even after we're gone, the seed that we have sown may bear fruit. We could quote a verse from Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, which is very appropriate for what we're looking at here. It's concerning Abel. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead, Yet speaketh. Abel was killed by his brother Cain. Abel was a righteous individual. Cain was not. Cain slew him. Abel's blood was still speaking. Abel's testimony was still speaking, although he was long dead. And this again is to encourage the people of God and to encourage the disciples. They were going to be the, the forerunners of the Christian gospel. The Holy Spirit was going to come upon them at Pentecost. And they were to bring the gospel to the Jews and to the Gentiles. They would face great opposition and difficulties and persecutions. And they would, most of them would lose their life because of their allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. But the good seed that they had sown would bear fruit. And it's still bearing fruit. We are here tonight. What are we looking at? We're looking at what the the apostles taught and what they give to the church and the scriptures. And this is to encourage ourselves. If we're out and about doing what we can, preaching the gospel, sowing the good seed, it will bear fruit. We are not in any sense to be despondent. Someone said this, quote, In the work of the gospel, whether in evangelism or in building churches, we are in the business of growth, not explosions. And that's from Mr. George Philip. We are in the business of growth. And this is what should motivate the Christian congregation, the Christian minister, the office bearer. We are all about growth. And the only way to grow is to sow. And there will be a harvest to reap. Well, finally, fourthly. There is no harvest 
until the seed is ripe. Verse 29. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he putteth in the sickle, because the harvest is come. We don't see it much around here, or at least I don't. And I'm sure the same for yourself, but when I was living up north, you would see it far more often. The harvest time would come. The weather would be set. It would be dry. The farmer would work early in the morning till late at night, even through the night. Because when the crop was ready, there was no time to hang about. It's ripe. It's cut. It's taken in. It's all done as quickly as possible. He won't do it too early. He'll look at his crop. He'll wait. But when it's ripe, there's no hanging about. Everything else is cast aside. He wants to get his harvest in. That's the way for the individual. When you are ripe, as far as God sees and he knows, when you're ripe, when you've reached your peak, in the sight of God, it's then you'll be taken. Not before then. And we can apply this too for the kingdom of God in its totality. When the last of the elect are saved, when they are brought to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, when all his people are redeemed, then the trumpet shall sound then the harvest of the world will come. Then the end will come. There will be no delay. The harvest will be gathered speedily. Be assured, friends, God is at work. There will be a harvest. And for us to be in that harvest, to be gathered into the sheep's fold, we need to have Christ as our Lord and Savior. We need to make our calling and election sure. We need to be with Him, whom to know is life everlasting. God is at work. Amen. And may God bless His word to us. Let us pray together.